Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. Good morning, good morning. It's good to see all of you. Thank you for your continued prayers for Pastors George and Suzanne. The Bible says that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And that's exactly what we're believing for. Amen? Amen. Well, Pastor George is watching. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you this way and serve this church body, sir. Why don't we give Pastor George a big cheer? Let him know how much you love him. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. Love you, Pastor. Well, it is indeed a wonderful time of the year. The weather is cool. The decorations are up. The lights are twinkling. Some of you are baking. And if you're not baking, seriously, come on, let's get that together. Let's, let's seriously, let's, let's fix that. Because this one thing I do know, you can never have enough of that fresh baked good smell. You know what I'm talking about? You can never have enough of that beautiful scent, but... It is indeed a wonderful time of the year, even if, hear me, even if for some, it may not feel like a wonderful time of the year. And contrasts like that are intriguing to me. They're unexpected. They remind me that the goodness of God prevails over any circumstance. How many of you have ever noticed the numerous Bible stories in which God does something unexpected, right? Someone's expecting something and God does something totally different. There's so many of them in the Bible that you might begin to wonder if God just kind of loves to do the unexpected. I mean, he might just love it. And there are tons of unexpected moments in the Christmas story, and we'll get to that in a bit. But I imagine... That's a result of God's ways being higher than our ways, his thoughts being higher than our thoughts. It just makes perfect sense to me. So as I prepared for today and meditated on God's propensity for the unexpected, I came to this conclusion. The great chasm between what we expect and what God does exists to show his great power, glory, and worth. I'll say it again. The great chasm between what we expect and what God does exists to show his great power, glory, and worth. See, when we see it, when we see God do something unexpected, it moves us to faith. It moves us to trust in him and have hope in him. See, in these unexpected moments, God's sovereign will is at play. Despite how we may feel in the moment, despite our limited understanding in the moment, his will is moving forward to show us his great and vast love for us. So this is true in many places in our lives and in the scriptures. One of my favorite places is in 1 Samuel 16. In this chapter, we find Samuel the prophet mourning the current king of Israel named Saul. 
Now, God says to Samuel, stop mourning Saul. I've rejected him. Get up. Get a vial of olive oil. Head to Bethlehem and find a man named Jesse, for I have chosen one of his sons to be the next king of Israel. Now, Samuel and Saul are not on good terms, right? So Samuel says, God, how? Like if Saul finds out, he's going to kill me. And then God says to Samuel, take a heifer and say that you're going to offer a sacrifice to me, which totally read to me as like a Bobby Fisher move, which is pretty cool. But Samuel goes... And the townspeople come out, and they were scared of Samuel because he indeed was the Lord's prophet. And so trembling, they ask, uh, uh, do you come in peace? And he says, yeah, I'm here to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite all the people and prepare yourselves to be purified. So the invitation goes out, and before the sacrifice can begin... Saul, excuse me, Samuel is performing the purification rites over all the people, including Jesse and his sons. Now, in the instant that Samuel sees Eliab, Jesse's firstborn son, he thinks to himself, surely this is the Lord's anointed, right? He sees them. He has the height, the stature, the strength, the man hands. <laughs> you know, everything that you need to be a king, right? So, as quickly as Samuel thinks that, right? In verse seven, God responds with the unexpected. To me, it's like one of the Bible's best stunners. And God says to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So put this in your back pocket. God sees things differently than the way you and I see them. So you might know the rest of the story. Jesse's sons were kind of all lined up and Samuel was there and, you know, it wasn't Eliab and it wasn't Abinadab and it wasn't Shimeab and it wasn't how about me, dad? And it wasn't cash me outside, how about dad, dad? None of them, none of them. Samuel went through seven sons right? Right? His expectations were shot down. He was just kind of scratching his head there. And he was like, um, Jesse, uh, uh, this is a bit awkward, but um, do you have any more sons? Like, to me, that was so funny because it's kind of like he was asking for a stick of gum. Like, hey, man, you got any more gum? Like, do you have any more sons? Well, in turn, Jesse is scratching his head too. See, because Jesse had an expectation. Did you see that? Right? Jesse's expectation was this, surely when the man of God calls for me and my sons to attend the sacrifice, surely he doesn't mean this young little scrawny son of mine named David, who's out with the sheep and goats, surely the, the Lord's prophet doesn't require for him to attend. 
That was Jesse's expectation. And God was about to shatter his expectation too. God was shattering more expectations on this day than plates at a Greek wedding. (laughs) This is what God was doing. It's so fun to watch. So fun to watch. So Jesse mentions, there's another one, David. And then Samuel's like, all right, well, go get him. You know, we're not going to keep going until he comes. And sure enough, young, scrawny, little, dirty David shows up. And God says, that's the one. Anoint him. Wow. Totally unexpected. See, no one expected that small boy, not God's prophet, not dad. No one expected that small boy to become one of Israel's greatest kings. A man who God described as a man after his own heart. A man from whose bloodline we received our Lord and Savior. How cool is that? How unexpected is that? You see, God expected it. God expected it. See, stories like these, they build our faith because they show us that God has our best interest in mind. Earlier, I mentioned that God sees things differently than the way you and I see things. So let me ask you, what are you looking at today that God might see differently? What are you looking at? See, it takes a lot of puzzle pieces to come together to, come together to show the bigger picture. And in life, we can become preoccupied with individual puzzle pieces. It narrows our focus. We might get flustered with them. We might get frustrated with them. We might not understand them. They might cause us worry or anxiety or lots and lots of stress. We might cry out to God, Lord, what do I, what do, I do with this? Can this fit somewhere else? Does this belong here? Is this better used somewhere else? Is this someone else's puzzle piece? Lots of questions surrounding these puzzle pieces. And when we read stories like David's, we're reminded of the unexpected involvement of God. See, those stories remind us that God is good and worthy of our trust. Even if we don't understand the puzzle pieces, especially when they don't fit together as we expected. So how do we handle unmet expectations. You know, there was a time in my life where I had very fixed expectations, like Samuel, like Jesse, even like David, who was going about his Tuesday before he was summoned to the sacrifice. I had very specific ideas, expectations, and plans for how my life was going to play out. It was so strong that I would submit to you that this idea is what brought me to Gainesville. I grew up with the notion that I would one day become a doctor. Now, like, this was, like, legit. A legit dream, plan, expectation for my life. I came to Gainesville to pursue medicine. And little did I know then that, you know, God was 
doing that Bobby Fisher thing again with my life. But I came here to become a doctor. I carried this dream from elementary all the way up into my collegiate years. I excelled in school. I did pretty well. Thank God for that. I graduated 12th in my class of 538 students. That's a lot of people, a lot of people. And um, I got a full academic scholarship to the University of Florida. Thank God for that, because my mom was super happy about that. <laughs> full academic scholarship. And as soon as I got here, I jumped into a pre-medical track of study that I knew would get me into that top-rated med school. So I was focused. I was gung-ho. I was moving forward with all, all of that. Well, one spring day, I was traveling through campus, and I saw a crowd, and there was a live step show going on. You know the... Okay, I won't try to do that. I can't do that. There was a live step show going on, and I was intrigued. And I was like, oh, let me cool. Let me watch it. Well, it just so happened to be a, a group from this church. And as I got closer and I was able to hear what they were saying, they were stepping to Bible scriptures. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. But uh, to make a long story short, I ended up talking to one of the steppers after the show, and they told me they were from this church, and they invited me to this church. I attended that weekend, and a couple of months later, God saved me right here in this church. I was sitting kind of like over there somewhere. And this coming spring, that would have been 20 years ago. Pretty cool. Well, fast forward from that point a couple of years. Right leading up to that medical school application season, right? If you're a med student, you know what I'm talking about. That's a big ordeal. Well, all of a sudden, my childhood dream of becoming a doctor, the reason why I came to Gainesville, or so I thought, it started to kind of come undone inside of me. Like, it came out of nowhere, but there was no denying that that's what was happening in my heart. So young in my faith, I knew that I could take it to God in prayer. And so I learned that I, had, I hadn't up to that point submitted my life's expectations, my plans, my dreams. I hadn't submitted them yet to God in prayer. And after a season of praying and fasting, yes, I fasted because a career choice is such a major thing. At least I thought so, and yes, it's true. So I fasted over this because I didn't want to get it wrong. And after that season, God clearly says to me, don't apply to med school. I didn't call you into the medical field. I've called you to proclaim my gospel. Now we entered uncharted waters. I was like, okay, I don't even know what that means, but let's go for it. But it wasn't that easy. I had to ultimately share this decision with my mother. Okay, it took me like a year to tell her. But when I shared it with my mother, she expressed concerns, she expressed disbelief, she expressed disappointment. See, my mother and I are very close 
And from the moment I told her my decision, we entered into a long season of kind of like brokenness beneath the surface. Like we still loved each other and cared for each other, but I knew that my mother was wounded by my decision to not pursue medicine. I mean, there was so much expectation, so much hope, so much potential, and it was all dashed when I decided not to go to med school. And so, you know, we didn't really talk about it much, but 14 years later, after being on staff here for 10 years, I told my mother that Pastor George and the leadership of this church believed that there was a call of God on my life and that they believed that it was time to publicly set me apart in front of the people and ordain me as a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I told my mother this, and I invited her to my ordination. Well, she traveled here with some family, and that day, she told me one of the most powerful and unexpected workings of God in my life and, and in hers. She told me that the night before, or a couple nights before the trip, that she hosted a ladies' Bible study at her house. And one of her girlfriends came over and brought a new friend. Now, my mother did not know this lady, but my mom, being a good host, she chatted this lady up. And in conversation, she mentions to her that she was about to come and visit me for my ordination. She tells this lady, oh, I'm going to Gainesville in a couple of days um, to visit my son. He's about to be ordained as a pastor. He was going to become a doctor, <laughs> but now he's going to become a pastor. And there it was, that wound, that pain that had been sitting there for over a decade had reared its ugly head once again. And this lady, whose name I don't know to this day, this lady who my, mo my mom met that night for the first time, who I have since registered in my mind as an angel from God. She looks at my mother's face that is visibly not elated by the comparison of pastor to doctor. And this lady says to my mother, oh, how wonderful. Now your son will bring healing to people in a different way. Yeah. Boom. Amen. And there it was. There it was. There was God's instant and unexpected and miraculous healing that my mother needed and that I needed too. You see, God can take your expectations and interrupt them for his glory and your healing, your joy, whatever it is that you need, God can do it. God is so for you. Now, my mother is one of my biggest fans. She always has been one of my biggest fans. Hi, mom, if you're watching, I love you so much. But as powerful as unexpected moments can be, let me encourage you to wrestle with your unmet expectations through the place of prayer. Don't discount prayer. 
It's one of the basics of the Christian faith. But I encourage you, as you wrestle with your unmet expectations, you can't really figure out what's going on, what to do, what decision to make, pray sincerely, genuinely. Cry out to God. Close yourself off if you have to. I encourage you to fast. Fasting is something that we don't do often enough. I'm almost certain that many of you can benefit from fasting with regards to some of the things that you're going through right now. You can fast for someone else's battle. I encourage you to seek counsel. Talk to a trusted friend. Talk to your parents. Talk to your connect group leader. Talk to one of the pastors. Seek counsel and stand in the place of agreement, believing God to do what he's wanting to do in your life. These are fundamentals. These are healthy practices for your spiritual walk. Now, it totally helps to do these things if you undergird them with more faith-building stories. Who loves a faith-building story? Come on. They remind us of who God is. And since tis the season, it's only fitting that we look at some unexpected moments in the Christmas story. Actually, there's tons of unexpected wow moments in the birth of Jesus Christ in and surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, like this one, or like this one. I mean, come on. When was the last time you were chilling on the hillside with all your farm animals, and the sky opened up, and an angelic choir started to sing in front of you? Totally unexpected. Super awesome, though. Wow. How about this one? Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nation? I mean, come on. Classic Mary. Immaculate conception, mother of the son of God, all kinds of wow moments in that one. One more. How about this one? guess it? Did you guess it? The star of Bethlehem, right? Iconic and rightfully so. I mean, when was the last time you ever heard of a planetary body serving as a flashlight guiding wise men to the birthplace of a baby so that they can go worship him and give him gifts? Totally unexpected. Super awesome though. But in reading the Christmas story that is just so grand, and in the spirit of 
speaking about things that are unexpected, let's focus on two kind of more obscure components of the Christmas story and see how they might build our faith. Let's take a look at this one. The national census. Yeah, definitely not among the usual suspects of Christmas, but listen, full of wow. And how about this one? The trough. Yeah, I know. It's also known as the manger. It's in lots of paintings. It's a lot of songs and on front lawns. Yes, yes, but it's still kind of glossed over, and there's so much depth there. So let's begin with the national census. All right. 700 years before Jesus is born, Micah the prophet prophesied that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. So easily, God had centuries to get ready for Jesus' birth. I mean, we know that he had a lot more time, but let's just go with that big number. Yeah, let's go with that big number. All right, so in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Micah prophesies and he says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. You see, the Messiah, who exists in eternity past, present, and future, would be born in Bethlehem. So from this, we know God had plenty of time to get ready for the incarnation and the arrival of his son. But here's the problem with Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph... They don't live in Bethlehem. They's from Nazareth. Whoops. God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You got your cities mixed up there. No, 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 no. See, you can imagine, right? You can imagine that God could have easily arranged for a faithful virgin and a just man in the lineage of David to be in Bethlehem to fulfill his prophecy. But no, the God of unexpected and untold glory chooses Mary and Joseph who live in Nazareth, not Bethlehem, and sets his plan in motion anyways and has Mary get pregnant far away from the prophesied town. Now, to solve the problem that obviously God created himself, God could have arranged for Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem for all kinds of reasons, personal reasons, right? It could have been something like a relative who needed them urgently, or maybe a dream, right? God likes to do that. Or maybe some business matter that they needed to attend to. Literally, it could have been any reason why they needed to go to Bethlehem. But God didn't choose any of those. Instead, God moves Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem by means of an empire-wide census. Is that cool? 
See, God in the fulfillment of his plan, he uproots and shifts an entire empire to get Joseph and Mary where they needed to be. Can God do some things or can God do some things? Come on. That is so powerful. So powerful. Look, let's read it. Luke 2, beginning in verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Do you see it? God can do anything anything. God arranged for the most powerful leader in the world to order everyone in the empire to go to their ancestral town to register for a census in order to get Mary and Joseph where they needed to be to fulfill his prophecy from 700 years ago. Come on. Talk about unimaginable providence. This is the God that we serve. God can do anything locally, statewide, nationally, globally. We have no idea. He puts things in place exactly as he pleases, including the birth of his son. This is the God that we have an opportunity to know and serve. Are you encouraged by that? I am so encouraged by that. You see, God will move heaven and earth for you. And in many ways, he has moved heaven and earth for you. Last one, the trough. Okay. Luke is the only writer in the New Testament to use the word manger. Okay. And what God does through this feeding trough is literally unbelievable. It's so spectacular. It's so great. And it warrants our attention. See, manger comes from the Latin word to chew or eat. So it referred to a trough where horses, donkeys, cattle, they all came and they slobbered and ate from. That's what a trough is. And in view of the national census, what God just did there, it's kind of crazy to think that a God who can wield an empire to move a young girl from Nazareth to Bethlehem can't arrange for there to be an available room. It's kind of weird, right? But it's true. Look, Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Surely, Lord, planning a bed for your son would be easier than planning a global census, right? But Jesus ended up lying exactly where he was supposed to be. 
See, if Jesus, excuse me, if Jesus were born in a gold-plated crib that was bedazzled with diamonds and rubies and all other kinds of precious stones, and he had his little crib in a gold-plated nursery in a presidential suite atop the highest high-rise on the planet, that would have still been beneath him. Do you see that? It would have been beneath him. In Luke chapter 2, verse 12, it says, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, a feeding trough. That was the sign. It wasn't swaddling cloths. All the babies had swaddling cloths. It was the manger. That was the sign. The sign is that you will find him in the manger. And we see, we can't romanticize this bed for anything else other than what it was, which was a feeding trough. You see, this was the first bed of the Son of God, not a royal cradle. See, it wasn't even a common crib. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord was lying in the manger. You see, no other king anywhere on the planet was lying in a feeding trough. Yet the angel was saying, find him and you find the king of kings. Find him and you're going to learn something absolutely crucial about his kingship. This is Jesus. Here's an unexpected takeaway. The son of God, to whom the angelic choir broke open the skies and sang, glory to God in the highest, was now lying in the lowest. In the lowest. You see, the trough was the first step in the lowly road to Calvary. You see, from the trough, Jesus only went lower. The road to Calvary was downhill, not because it got easier for him, but because Jesus went even lower for you and for me. This is the majesty of the God that we get to serve. That's the joy of Christmas. That Jesus was willing to come and pay a price that we couldn't pay. This is the joy of Christmas. Jesus did that for you and for me. You see, when there are things that we don't understand, when expectations are not being met, I can go to God in prayer, I can fast. I can go talk with people who I hold in high esteem and be reminded that God is good and worthy of my trust. If he's well able to do all those things, he is worthy of my trust. And I needed to be reminded of that in this current season that we're walking through. 
together as a church. I needed to be reminded that God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. He rises above all the unexpected things and performs and executes his perfect will. He's good. We can trust him. See, the joy I pray you find this Christmas is in the unexpected. God is also into the unexpected. Don't doubt it. Trust him. His ways are above your ways. His thoughts are above your thoughts. See, he takes the foolish things of this world, like a census or a trough or a financial difficulty or a strained relationship or depression or anxiety or a bad medical report. And he takes those things and confounds the wise with his miraculous power. This is the God that we serve. So good. So when it looks absolutely bleak, don't count out the goodness of God. He is well able to do the unexpected. He's the God who does exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. This is him. And listen, one day, Jesus will return again when no one expects it. And it's going to be an absolutely glorious day. So I encourage you, walk in his likeness this Christmas season and live unexpectedly. Believe unexpectedly. Love unexpectedly. Listen unexpectedly. Give unexpectedly. Do something unexpected and find the joy of Christmas as you represent your Lord and Savior well. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that we can trust you. Ah, what a, what a breath of fresh air to know that you are all powerful, that you are all loving, that you are in control. Even when we don't understand what lies in front of us, God, we can trust you. We can trust you. You have proven yourself time and time again to be a good, good father to all of us. And so, God, we rejoice in being reminded today of your power. We rejoice in being reminded today of your goodness and your incredible love for us. God, I pray over this people regarding anything that they're facing right now, expectations that are not being met, questions that are being raised, mulling over decisions that have to be made. God, I thank you that you're for them. You love them so much, you're going to meet them right where they're at. You're going to share with them exactly what they need to know when they need to know it. Thank you, God, that that releases and empowers us with great peace. You are trustworthy, Jesus. We love you and we look to you in all things. We surrender our hearts, our minds, our soul, our strength. We give it all to you. You are a safe place. 
You are him who can wield empires. You are him who can move planetary bodies. You are him who can open up the skies. You are the God of the impossible who has chosen to step off his mighty throne and enter into human history to make a way where there wasn't a way just for us. We love you, Father, and we thank you so much once again for all you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I would like the opportunity to pray for those of you who might not know Jesus. I want to ask believers to pray with me, with everyone head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I want to speak to those of you who don't know the God of wonders that I'm talking about. You might not have even expected to be here this morning, but God did. So if that's you, I would love the opportunity. It would be an honor for me to introduce you to Jesus through a simple prayer. If that's you on the count of three, I invite you to raise your hand just so that I can see it. Let me count. One, two, three. Yes, sir. Bless you. Thank you, mighty God. Hallelujah. Well, I want to invite you, sir, to repeat after me in celebration of what is transpiring in your heart and mind. The rest of this church family is going to pray along with you to show you how we're excited about the decision that you're making today. Amen? So I invite you to repeat after me. God, I need you. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to the earth to live a life I couldn't live and to die a death I should have died. You've made a way for me. You've been pursuing my heart. You've brought me to this unexpected moment where I recognize that I need you, Jesus, to be my Lord and Savior. I confess all my sins, all my wrongdoings. I lay those at the foot of your throne. And I ask you to cleanse me of my unrighteousness and make me a new creation in you. I look forward to our many days ahead. I thank you, God, and I love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Bless you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.